Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. It is nighttime and you are listening to the Mojave Desert. One version of it anyway. The only one we can afford here on this radio program. Tonight, let's talk a moment about something we all think about out here on the desert. We think about various types of dogs. The canine family. All kinds of desert dogs, from the furious pit bulls chasing joggers down giant rock road to those strange little animals sitting on laps outside at La Copine. From the mysterious desert kit fox of Fox Hollow to the poor gray fox run over on Altoloma, poor little critter in the road. And the coyotes, of course. I know there are coyotes even in Chicago now, in our times. But the song of the coyote will always belong to the desert, the great North American desert. New York had punk rock and hip-hop, Chicago had rhythm and blues, and... I guess Liz Fair. Let the desert have the song of the coyote. Now the wildest thing that I have ever seen, the kind of thing you keep to yourself so a bunch of people don't feel compelled to say, oh, that's very common actually on Twitter. The wildest thing I've ever seen happened in the area where I walk fairly regularly, close to home, close to the current residence anyway, a very nice place out there, up there in the rocks, down in the sandy valley that is green as Scotland right now. Green as a mountain hollow. Mountain Holler, as they say back in my ancestral homeland, one of them anyway, you know some very fancy and some very stupid people landed a private helicopter onto the Poppy Preserve out in the western Mojave. And the sheriff's department had to announce on social media that you are not allowed to land your leisure helicopter on the poppies everybody else has come to see within the poppy preserve. The sheriff's department expressed something like disbelief that they had to spell that policy out just in case because it had already happened. And if we've got to go into it, 
then I might as well say that it would be nice if the very wealthy entertainer Miley Cyrus, recently seen on Instagram sitting up in the branches of a very fragile Joshua tree, sitting up there like a weird koala who doesn't know better. Well, it might be nice if Miley Cyrus sent a nice big check to the Mojave Desert Land Trust and the Transition Habitat Conservancy and maybe a couple of others and then do a couple of educational Instagram stories about how it's very bad and rotten to do this sort of thing. To climb up Joshua trees like a koala who got dropped on its head. I don't have anything against Miley Cyrus. In fact, her own dad, Billy Ray Cyrus, is from the same stretch of Route 23 where my own dad is from, Eastern Kentucky. Dwight Yoakam wrote a song about Route 23. He was born in Betsy Lane, Kentucky. Imagine that. People don't realize all the musical legends who came up in those mountain counties of eastern Kentucky along that one highway, Route 23. There's Loretta Land, of course, Tom T. Hall. That's a pretty magical number if you think about it, 23. 23 skidoo, as was the phrase. A century or so ago, the 23 Enigma. So Billy Ray Cyrus, he of the heart that is both aching and broken, he's from Flatwoods, Kentucky. Not Flatwoods, West Virginia, which is, of course, home to the ominous and otherworldly Flatwoods monster. An event that happened a good hour's drive to the east of Flatwoods, Kentucky. You ought to look up the Flatwoods monster if you don't already know about it. It is like so many strange tales of Appalachia, a story that involves a country dog suffering radioactive and perhaps mental torment at the spindly-armed hands of a red-eyed floating robot devil. Even the cops saw it. And the thing made everybody sick. So, in a way, in a manner of speaking, Miley Cyrus and I are family relations. Probably first cousins. Possibly more. How would anyone know? Kissing Cousins, like the Elvis movie. The hit 1964 movie of the same name, Kissing Cousins. I believe the last Elvis movie before the Beatles took over America entirely. And the marijuana came in. 
The plots of Elvis movies are often so weird that you would be forgiven for thinking that they were put together by William S. Burroughs using the cut-up method. But this one is different. This one is a little bit different. There's a little bit of heft to the story, although it's still weird, although it still makes no sense. See, the government intends to build a nuclear missile silo on a mountaintop where these hillbillies live. In eastern Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains. High on a mountaintop, as Loretta Lynn sang. On that good record she did a couple of years ago. Van Leer Rose. Well, the problem is that the ornery old patriarch of the hillbilly clan, Pappy Tatum, later of Pappy and Harriet's fame, will not turn over the land to the government for their death rocket. Enter Elvis, who is apparently from the area, but has since become an Air Force officer with a neat-pressed uniform and that beautiful head of shiny black hair and shiny black shoes to match. The premise here is that Elvis Presley represents the Pentagon. Elvis Presley needs to get this missile up on this mountain as you might expect, he makes his living from moonshine. And like Donald Trump, Pappy is always running from the law. He's always running from the tax man. He's always running from Jesus. And the Internal Revenue Service, the revenuer man of legend. And the other thing is Elvis also plays his identical cousin, named Joshua after our famous Joshua trees. And of course, there are a lot of hijinks and something like 12 identical cousin females and somehow they all pair off in various ways. It's what they call the uh, polymore lifestyle. Which began in Appalachia. That's how you pronounce it in the South. On down the spine from Kentucky, down those great eastern mountains, you pronounce it like somebody is throwing an apple at you. Now, Elvis, the Air Force Major, He just wants to betray his kinfolk and get that lease signed so he won't be shipped off to Greenland to die. This is what the Air Force will do to him if he does not achieve what the Pentagon has so far failed to achieve. Control of this mountaintop. Where an ICBM missile needs to be installed or the mutually assured nuclear destruction of life on Earth. In 
and somehow Elvis manages to do it. By getting the Pentagon to allow Pappy to continue distilling his powerful stuff without trouble from the Revenuer Man. It's a lawless cycle of death. And Elvis breaks out into song, as does everyone else, and while there is a sense of weariness in the face of death, it's also kind of a fun Elvis movie. There's no follow that dream is no King Creole. A true fact is that my mother is in the crowd in some of the King Creole shots. Well, she was there anyway. Along with uh, another couple of thousand screaming schoolgirls. That's what she told me, anyway. Now, if you watch Kissin' Cousins, you can be forgiven for thinking... Land of the hillbillies doesn't look all so different from our own mountains rising up over the Mojave. Well, that's because the mountains are one and the same. Kissing Cousins was filmed in the San Bernardino Mountains with all their great forest of pine and groves of California oak. There aren't many forests like that back in Appalachia. The city people came down in the 1800s and harvested all the old growth trees, all the beautiful old chestnuts. You know, the San Bernardino Mountains has a newly protected wild and scenic river coming down the mountain. Whitewater Creek. Now, the movie critics mostly hated Kissin' Cousins, of course, and you can't blame them because they remembered when Elvis movies were a little bit better. A lot better. A few years earlier, more stylish, more real humor better cinematography sometimes a wonderful flash of violence and Dixie fried insanity from Elvis who had gone from looking like a freshly caged mountain lion to one that had been languishing in a roadside zoo for 10 years and that's pretty much what happened to him the LA Times critic said it was a dreary movie based on dumb hillbilly jokes out of Lil Abner. 
and there's something familiar about the plot of this 1964 movie written by Gene Nelson and Gerald Dreyson Adams, who got a Writers Guild nomination for Best Written American Musical in 1965, but they lost to Mary Poppins. Minus the identical cousins routine is the same story as the one told in Edward Abbey's third novel, Fire on the Mountain, which was published in 1962, two years before Kissin' Cousins was released. The same year, the first film adaptation of an Ed Abbey novel was released to great critical acclaim. Lonely are the brave. The Kirk Douglas and Dalton Trumbo movie version of Abby's very good little novel, The Brave Cowboy. a big deal because Dalton Trumbo had been blacklisted by Hollywood for having progressive political ideas. Now that used to happen. Right up until about November 2018, in fact. Now Kirk Douglas has made a lot of movies and a lot of good movies, too. But he always told anyone who would listen that Lonely Are the Brave was his favorite. Because it was based on his favorite Edward Abbey book, The Brave Cowboy. Plus, it's got one of the great Gina Rowland performances. Plus, Walter Matthau. As a sheriff of a small desert town, a sheriff who is driven to insanity by watching a local dog urinate on a fire hydrant. The point of fire on the mountain is that the government is coming to seize the desert ranch of a cranky old patriarch and a young boy is inspired... By his grandfather's scruples, his ethics, his personal code of conduct. So unlike in the Elvis movie, the city-educated boy does not betray his family, does not betray his land, nor does he engage in lewd acts with his own cousins. But overall, it's the same story. Anyway, you do not climb or attempt to climb a Joshua tree. Please do not do this. Do not knock one over with your car, as somebody did up here last year. And then they put it in a campfire. They put the half-alive thing in a campfire, where, of course, it did not burn. 
So they threw it on the side of the dirt road. This poor Joshua tree, a younger Joshua tree, like about that one, just a couple of branches, eight feet tall or so, probably only 30 or 40 years old, helplessly dead, charred in the middle where the morons put it on their illegal campfire. I don't want to tell you what happened to the morons until the statute of limitations expires. And six years, two months. But it was self-defense. Defense of our natural world, our beautiful desert, defenders of wildlife, etc. The Joshua trees are tree-like. They are tree-like, but they are not trees. They are yuccas, as you can see, with mostly shallow roots and a trunk of fleshy fiber and pulp. They grow up in a place where few people lived until recent times. Until recent times, a place that few people visited. Imagine that. Like the lacy little lattice here that holds together the desert, the desert soil wherever plants grow, the desert crust, the microbiotic desert crust. The Joshua tree is made for a desert place. Get thee to a desert place. A desolate place. But don't climb the Joshua trees, for God's sake. You know what people did a century ago? Bouncing out here on these washboard roads and the sandy washes to camp in the exotic Mojave high desert wilderness. They'd pour gasoline all over the trunk of a nice, big, tall Joshua tree, and they'd set it ablaze so that their friends from Los Angeles could find their campsite. They had no idea how long it took for a Joshua tree to grow. Maybe they didn't care. Well, you know better. And if you see something, say something. Say something to the miscreants and then call 911. Call the government. Call the governor. Call the National Park Service. Call the National Guard. Call on Thor to strike these evildoers down. Strike them down as a warning to the rest of us. Joshua trees manage without much water. They manage with too much sun, with constant wind, and they don't mind snow at all. In fact, they need it a little a year at least. More when it's around. I have heard a lot of disturbing stories about what happens when entertainers and influencers come out here and they get caught doing bad things. They get caught doing bad things to our centuries-old Joshua trees. 
like painting them green for an indie rock video. Or trying to hang hammocks between them. Only to discover that a 400-year-old yucca tree has toppled over before you even got the picture. And not only did you not get the picture, but now you're going to prison. Of a sort. We are progressive people out here. If you are arrested by the right people, you will not be put on the rack. You will not be locked alone in a place called the hole or the night canister or any such horrible and unjust place. Not for long, anyway. The goal here is rehabilitation. We want to turn the wretched and unrepentant into something noble, useful, good for the new world, the new times. You can do good. You can be better. You can enjoy what Joan Didion called little moments of purpose now and again if your heart is purified by the right knowledge, the new path. Coyotes. So the thing I saw was this. Not long after sunset, rays of white golden light still shining up behind the San Bernardino Mountains. We take it all for granted. And I come up on this little rise in the valley over the wash. It's maybe five feet higher over this part of the sandy wash. And the wind is going like the wind likes to go. So at this moment, the group of coyotes, not the small family unit that lives right here, but all the families from JT Highlands to Coyote Hole to Monument Manor to Section 5, they're all here. It is a conference, a wedding, I don't know what it is. And they're all in a circle facing each other mostly inclined on their front legs, the eyes absolutely joyous, the ears tall, tails swishing around, alert and alive. And this coyote chorus I'd been hearing for a few minutes was right there. Enough light to see them all, to see their smiling faces. One was singing when the muzzle and the jaw becomes like a funnel, like a hummingbird beak, this concentrated blast of song. Others are encouraging this in low, friendly grumbles and yips. It's like a sunrise service on Easter Sunday in New Orleans when I was a little kid. The gospel choirs and purple robes on the bleachers set up on the moonwalk on the Mississippi River. The soloists doing a verse with everybody else muttering and yelling encouragement. Preach it, that sort of thing. Well, another coyote took up the song and then they all did a chorus together, high and low, harmonies like the Everly Brothers. What were the coyotes singing about? There was no water nearby, no pile of pizza crust and pampers left behind by the visitors, nothing to prompt this performance beyond the beauty of the desert dusk. The enjoyment of being together, maybe before embarking solo on a night of catching little animals and eating mesquite pods, maybe getting a bunny or the occasional house cat. A night of adventure, like every night. Imagine that, every night an adventure. It's why so many of us aspire to be vampires. 
This has been Desert Oracle Radio, for tonight anyway. I'm your host, Ken Lane, from Amboy to Zizix and across the great Mojave wilderness. Good night from the Voice of the Desert.